We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And this is Echo. And today we have a very special episode with, um, I guess, our good friend now, Jerry Fu, um, who really honestly enlightened us just in the hour we got to speak with him. Uh, So Jerry started out his career as a pharmacist, even though that wasn't his original plan, but you'll hear all about that in a little bit. Uh, It got some experience managing people and um, had some like ups and downs in his career as we all do. And now he finds himself as a uh, problem is it problem solving coach, uh, leadership coach, and or problem re- resolution? I think is conflict resolution better, is his uh, conflict resolution is a better way to phrase it. Um, but yeah, no, it was a great conversation, and uh, I hope I hope we we bring Jerry Fu on again for another episode. And you guys haven't even heard this one yet, so <laughs> you know how it's gonna be. It's gonna be dope, but. <laughs> I guess uh, let's just get right into it. Let's get right into it. Hey, Jerry. Thanks so much for uh, for coming on, taking the time out of your day to, uh, to sit down with us for a bit. But uh, I guess can we get started by just having you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Jerry Fu. I split time as a pharmacist and also as a uh, leadership coach with a focus on conflict resolution. Awesome. Um, so f- pharmacy and a leadership coach, how how did that happen? Yeah, it's a weird mix, right? So, <laughs> let, me, let me grab spices from opposite ends of the rack and see how they taste. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, well, my original path was actually pre-med. I grew up with two cousins who both went to Harvard in med school. So, uh, you know, set a pretty high bar for me. It was like med school by default, which doesn't work. Right. And people can see where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) So after some early high school success, which was nice, um, you know, I got, uh, into a college where all of a sudden I was going up against everybody's top 10%. And then you quickly saw who was actually serious and disciplined about the path that they want to be on versus those who kind of had an idea and just couldn't fulfill it. So when I got a C in organic chemistry, uh, my sophomore year, you can imagine that I was like, Oh, Wake the up shame. I just don't even want the chance of being rejected by med school because I couldn't <laughs> handle everyone else's expectations. Right. So I said, well, yeah. let me, bow out before this has a chance to really get ugly. And so let me pick a different career in healthcare. So I picked pharmacy and for better or worse, pharmacy was on the up and up right as I was was trying to apply. Uh, Salaries were uh, going up, job demand was going up. And so I said, wow, you know, this seemed like it worked out pretty well. Now, the first conflict that I realized, you know, I, I struggled to deal with was the fact that my mom and I had very different ideas about what my career should look like. I initially wanted either an independent pharmacy job with a higher quality of life where I didn't have to work nights or weekends. And uh, my mom was more assistant that I worked for a chain pharmacy, which offered great benefits, uh, you know, that came at a cost that she didn't have to herself experience. Right. Um, her back, her, her 
context for wanting this for this for me was that my dad you know struggled to find gainful employment despite having two master's degrees one in chemical engineering another in computer science and so she just said you know i don't want you to struggle the way your dad did um but the problem and irony is that avoiding suffering is actually a form of suffering right and the, that's a whole nother conversation but <laughs> i like that. uh yeah so not that i like it but <laughs> what you just said <laughs> I, well i mean that's it's it's mark manson i am not gonna i'm not that profound guys i just i just know how to quote a lot of people uh but basically yeah um at one point i just got complacent because at one point while i was working for this chain pharmacy I actually had a really nice uh job setting where i had a lot of flexibility and you know scheduling and so i took a lot of vacations without actually having to cut into official like uh personal time off and so you know i was like and i knew how rare this was and so i was all of a sudden i was afraid to leave it because i just said oh you know i don't want to uh mess this thing up but then eventually when i transferred stores i went away anyway and then after about five years i had a really bad customer service incident uh at the fifth year mark and i just said okay nope i gotta find something else but the problem is, is that I wasn't working on my career at all. I, I just started to coast, you know, working for this chain pharmacy and my boss yeah. was happy with me. And I, and anytime I messed up, it wasn't so bad that she would like demote me because she knew that I, at least I worked hard and, and moved things. So I didn't, I couldn't get into that much trouble. Um, but when I started looking for new work, right, I just said, well, God, you know, I, I, um, I need something else, but you know, I don't have a resume to back it up. Uh, so the next best thing was to, you know, tap into my network. And so a friend of mine who worked for a pharmacy consulting company uh, here in Houston said, hey, I got promoted. My previous teaching position is available. Do you want to apply for it? And I said, absolutely. And so I was living in Tennessee at the time, uh, moved uh, to Houston for this job. And initially, again, just very short sighted. Right? I got to a good college. I'm done. Right. You know, I got to pharmacy school. I'm <laughs> yeah. done. You know, I got a job with a great company. I'm done. And then 11 months later, I really was done and got fired. And, you know, it was really sobering to say, you know, what am I going to tell everybody? Oh, yeah, it just didn't work out. And the problem was that I was in this mentality that if I couldn't get the job done, I would have a really great story that they should understand why I didn't get the job done. And, you know, you know how well that works out for businesses that, you know, <laughs> it gives you stories instead of results, Right. And so I didn't appreciate this until I became a manager later and we can bridge that as part of the conflict resolution. But yeah, 11 months later and all of a sudden, boom, I'm, I'm like, oh, reality check. Oh, I can't believe this actually happened to me or I let, I let this happen somehow. Um, second reality check happened after about six months looking for work. I stumble into a job where four of my paychecks bounced filling for crooked doctors. So I'm jeopardizing my license and I'm not even getting paid for it. Right. Yeah. So kind of a problem on two fronts. And so, even worse, I didn't have a local bank account because I was just mailing checks home. And, you know, me being like, you know, trusting and and, and simple being like, why would anyone write bad checks? They wouldn't write bad checks to me. You know? And so even worse was like my mom was monitoring these checks. And, you know, as I asked her, did you did you know that these were bouncing after my boss kind of owned up to it? And she's like, yeah, I was just too afraid to tell you. And so this is where that conflict aversion starts to get into trouble. Right. Because. It's not, oh, I don't want to upset him. It is, no, now you're withholding information that's actually hurting me. And now yeah. that's actually, you're withholding is actually hurting this situation. So after enough chasing down paychecks that he, you know, had messed up, I finally got out of that job with the help of some friends. I got into uh, a company that was more legitimate, but they couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so uh, I said, well, beggars can't be choosers. What can I do? And they said, well, um, 
you can get more hours if you cover at our Austin location. And there are worse places to end up. You know, it just wasn't home. Uh, and so this was 10 years ago now. And I am working out there. Great work team. That summer was key because some friends of mine who run a pharmacy leadership nonprofit tapped me and said, hey, um, one of our facilitators backed out. We know you've been helping on the fraternity side. Could you help out with the leadership meeting? And I said, absolutely, because I love these people so much. And um, teaching leadership kind of had a, an interesting effect on me just because I was working alongside a guy who really brought out the best in me. And, you know, I, when I saw leadership modeled for me, I said, oh, like, OK, maybe I could do that, too. Right. I started to allow for that possibility. And so when a full time manager position in Houston opened up later that fall, I said, absolutely. Got to come home. Can't stay safe. You know, I'll miss my Austin team, but I know I, this is where I want to be. The following year, I proceed to get written up because my technicians are not pulling their weight and I am not disciplining them, writing them up or firing them. And so management said, you know, that's their behavior is a problem and your passivity is a problem. And I said, OK, you know, more humble pie. Let me try to work on this some more. Oh, and yeah. yeah, as I am in the middle of my probation, the company has this funding pull. So now I'm really, I was already looking to leave and now I really need to leave because I may not, I may not have a job. And so yeah. the only reason I even stumbled across an opportunity again and got an interview was that now I had leadership experience on my resume. And so I tell people all the time, you know, yeah. leadership saved my career. And on one hand, happy for more job options because I had a more credible resume. On the other hand, these jobs were still like icebergs, right? They didn't survive insurance contracts. They didn't survive competition from bigger, bigger pharmacies. And so when five years ago, my previous employer went under because of insurance drama. And I just said, I'm tired of chasing scripts. I'm tired of fighting insurance contracts, which dictate what I'm worth. Um, but I love people development, which I consistently done since I started 10 years ago. Yeah. What if I made a career out of facilitating and coaching the way I wish I had been coached, if it's, you know, been trained uh, to handle these challenges more effectively. And so, again, still very scared of rejection and failure. So it was more of like a hobby than anything else. And... Um, Finally, when I turned 40 and, and the pandemic hit, some combination of the two said, okay, how much longer are we going to put this dream off? And so by now I'd been trained as a coach. Now I've been networking with other coaches and they say, here's how to start your coaching business. Follow the LLC, get the website up, open the bank account. Here we go. So that's the bridge from clinical specialist to okay. leadership coach. Yeah. So you, you were kind of able to, I guess because you had already been through that layoff process once when you felt like it might've been coming again. Mm -hmm. I know you said that didn't, that wasn't the first point of you jumping into it as a career, but I guess you kind of step back and you're like, all right, what are the things that I do like about the positions that I've held and the experience mm -hmm. I've had? Mm -hmm. And that might not be, you know, fighting the insurance contracts, but that was <laughs> what leading people, <laughs> I yeah. guess you, and then you, you figured out like, all right, I at least want to try to start doing something related to this because it, it makes me happy. Yeah, you know, and part of it is just recognizing that there are no wasted experiences unless you choose to, right? Because the funny thing is that all these stories and, ex and experiences I've accumulated, all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk about them because they're like, how did you get through that? And I'm just like, guys, I, I'm not the hero. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> looking for admiration here. Yeah. You know, because, and so, I mean, I'm still in the middle of this pivot, right? And the fun thing is the blessing in disguise is that my work team serves as my leadership lab, right? Where I read all these books and I'm just, I, I don't want to just gain admiration to regurgitate this content. I actually have to apply it on a way that's credible and see what my team actually responds to, right? 
And that keeps me honest just to say, okay, yeah, Jerry's, you know, living what he's teaching. And then the other is, yeah, because I'm growing just as long as any, along with any client that, that takes me on, right? To say, hey, we're, we're in this together. We're both, where, where we are in the journey, it's less about position as it is about direction. And it's also heading in the same direction. You know, we can, we can help each other out. Yeah, for uh, sure. Ahmed, let me just say one more thing. I'll, I'll give you the floor. Uh, just a follow up. So I guess it seems like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like you, you wanted to do the leadership stuff, but you're specializing in the conflict resolution. Was that because there was like a theme in your life where you felt like the situations that were happening had a background issue related to like conflict resolution? Like you mentioned with the hidden information with the bouncing checks and your mom finding out. And then also, you know, having to, you know, be put in these situations at your work that were like, you know stressful Mm -hmm. and maybe like with the managing people you maybe didn't want to fire or reprimand those people as much as the company thought you did i was a manager too and i really Mm -hmm. was like easy on the people because Mm -hmm. that's just the way that i look at things and i don't value the you know stock price more than a person's happiness but i guess (laughs) does does that does that make sense like yeah 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 i mean it's it's the it's the classic you know did it did i choose it or did it choose me right because yeah you know the 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 struggle became a fascination basically right because i saw this theme where like if we zoom back for a second, you know, imagine this kid who just wants to be accepted, wants to feel like he belongs and is willing to, you know, kind of suppress his frustration because he doesn't want to be ostracized. Right. Um, And then, so like the worst thing you can do as a leader is to live for popularity or approval. Right. Because there's a lot of ugly and unpopular decisions that you have to make as a leader that, you know, are very necessary. And, um, and so, yeah, I'll give a quick example from college to kind of illustrate what, where this is coming from, right? So summer break, I'm home from college, a college friend, we'll call him Gary. Gary's like, hey, man, I'm going to be uh, swinging your way in town on a road trip. You want to hang out for a couple of days? Can I stay over? And I was like, let me run it by my mom. And mom's like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, Gary can come stay for a couple of days. Gary comes over. We have a good time. As far as I can tell, my mom is a great host and, you know, very gracious and generous one, hospitable, everything. And then Gary leaves. And so Gary's kind of this carefree guy, right? He's just, you know, an unmade bed is nothing fatal, right? But, yeah, you know, but then, you know, he leaves and my mom's like, you know, it kind of almost flips a switch. And she's like, can you believe this guy? Like, he, he left hair in the shower and he left the bed un, unmade because the unwritten rule or the unsaid rule is that in an Asian household, whether you are the guest or the host, you understand that you leave things better than you left no one touched it right yeah and so my mom's like yeah you know he's a nice guy i wouldn't invite him over again and this is what we do right this is like the so the standard operation of of just being like oh okay they they failed the unwritten test so we're just going to quietly you know push them out and you know no one has to know and so to go from that and to realize yeah like my biggest struggle as a leader was learning to have these difficult conversations right and it's like okay i've how do I get better at this? Right. Let me read some books. All oh, right. Now I feel like I know what I'm talking about, but am I actually having the difficult conversations? Yeah. Applying it is different. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, the first time I actually pushed someone out the door, it was more of like, a, I managed to like shift the domino to the very edge of the table and then like gravity took over and it's like, boop. And then it was yeah. like, Oh, you know, and then, you know, again, it's just something with practice, right. You just after a while, you know, it's not like I take any satisfaction in it. Cause like you said, right. You're just like, I don't, I feel bad that I have to, you know, make someone feel pain because, you know, but uh, it's necessary because if you don't 
let them experience that pain. Uh, you're basically enabling them because they have no idea that they're yeah. doing anything wrong. Or even if they do, they're like, well, as long as he's not going to you know, penalize me for it, you know, eh, I'm not going to like write myself up. So, uh, yeah, on one hand, I did want to niche down because I know I have a heart for Asian American leaders in their 20s and 30s, kind of like I was just to say, yeah, I know they probably had the same struggles I did trying to either confront a bad boss or a direct report who's not pulling the weight. They probably have these same problems. So let me, you know, help guide their path a little more effectively so that they can respond to challenges better. You still have to let them fail and they have to grow at their own rate, but maybe, you know, they have a little more in their toolbox to increase their chances of success. I feel like usually when you speak your mind though, and you have those hard conversations mm-hmm. in the moment, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear about how it's going to go. Cause you don't want to hurt those relationships, but you almost always feel better after as long as the conversation, you know, by both sides was like, you know, a civil and respectful yeah. interaction. Yeah. yeah. And the, you know, and then, and then the flip side, right. Just like if this, if we're just going to have a falling out, I'm just going to go down swinging. At least they know exactly why I'm upset with them instead yeah. of just being like, why didn't I say this? Right. Okay. Um, I mean, I guess shifting a little bit from from management, um, I really wanted to ask you a bit about your uh, your coaching practice, just because um, on Black Box, we tend to always tie whatever we're talking about back to entrepreneurship. And this Mm -hmm. this is something that you started and you're running. And um, so in in that way, you're hundred percent an entrepreneur. Um, but I guess like what, like how did you get, get it going? Like what kind of clients were you seeing in the beginning? What kind of clients are you seeing now? Like what has changed over time? Um, if you could just elaborate a bit. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> basically you, you have to find where the money is in, in, in the simplest answer, right? Because I'll, I'll be happy to talk about my transition because initially when it was still before I officially filed the LLC, right? You look for warm traffic to say, okay, who in my sphere, you know, do I notice is asking me for advice, right? Who in my sphere is looking in, in my demographic that maybe I have a, a chat with them about things. And so, yeah, I mean, the first client I had was actually someone I, I knew through a church that I attended for quite some time, Right. Um, and then my first couple paying clients were just, again, it was just around the network of pharmacy people that I knew. Like, for instance, I, I managed to meet the executive director of a leadership society through a, a mutual friend. And then we got to talking. I invited them to a book discussion I was doing at the time. And he said, wow, you run this really well. Maybe could you could we hire you to do some book discussions for the leadership society? And all of a sudden, boom, you know, I have a small like paid contract. This is still yeah. hobby money, guys. I'm not bragging about it, but I am celebrating <laughs> it because I, all of a sudden I had money that okay I, to brag a little like, bit. Wow. No, no, I celebrate it for sure. Right. Yeah. It's just like, all of a sudden he's like, wow, he wants to pay me for my services. This is great. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, the first year I was in business, the only reason I even covered the majority of my expenses was that I, I'm a private tutor as well. And that was where the immediate <laughs> demand was. And um, my, my biggest weakness is that I don't move quickly enough because right? It's like, oh, like you can't just be your fear of rejection and your worrying don't help your bottom line. And so the sooner yeah. you realize that, hey, I need to go out and prospect, I need to go out and pitch organizations that are likely to like have some kind of overlap, right? Now I'm in a much better frame of mind, right? Um, that and so the first year, yeah, it was the reasons I survived was tutoring. And thankfully, coaching doesn't require a lot of overhead. 
And then also I was appearing on 70 or 80 podcasts, just trying to get my name out there. So that led to some really great opportunities. Like for instance, I'm submitting a chapter to a leadership anthology that to a guy, a consultant that I met because of podcasting. All of a sudden, I'm about to become a vendor coach at Rice University, my alma mater, because I met a bunch of coaches. They liked the way I carried myself, helping do some volunteer work. And they're like, you know what? Jerry's a teammate. We want to keep around, right? So that was almost the pivot where, yeah, the current clients I have actually get referrals through a leadership nonprofit called Leadership Education for Asian Pacific. So some of the clients I get through there. And so these, these clients are already vetted in a way, right? Because we know that... They're looking for help. Otherwise, they want to yeah. sign up for the programming. So in this space, yeah, my heart is still for Asian leaders in their 20s and 30s. And whether they find me directly uh, or they go through an, a leadership nonprofit that like you know keeps me on the bench, that's basically yeah. what's kind of keeping me afloat right now. Don't get me wrong, guys. I, I looked at my, my balance sheet for this year and I'm like, this feels like a snail, <laughs> you know. but it is heading in the right direction. It's just it feels like it's a snail. And that's the other lesson in, in entrepreneurship. The sooner you're able to outsource work so that you can focus, you're only going to do so much as one person. And that's assuming you're, all your automated engines and systems are built in such a way that are sustaining work that you'd normally outsource to other people. Uh, and so that is my next step is that I found an internship service that, you know, with some ambitious college kids and we'll see, oh, that's know, interesting. I'm willing to put some money toward them and just see, you know, okay, let's see what they can do. So, um, yeah, I mean, basically, right. Yeah. Where's, how are you meeting your immediate needs? Is the first question I would ask any aspiring entrepreneur, right? Because if it weren't for private tutoring, I would have been like, oh, I, I don't, you know, what do I do? I don't know how to pitch anybody. I don't know how to get, you know, land the $10,000 contract. I don't. You just find money first. And then from there, you know, yeah, if you want to set aside some like 1% of your profits just to kind of celebrate yourself while still covering your things, great. Uh, but usually, yeah, go where the money is now. Start to really dig in deep and say, okay, now who else, you know, where are the people, where are my ideal clients hanging out? How do I get through to them? So in this case, right, I found leadership nonprofits around Asians, like Ascend Leadership or like Organization of Chinese Americans. I start talking with them. Hey, can I do a presentation for you? See what you think. And then, yeah, another big thing that's helped recently to celebrate is that I appeared on a podcast called All Ears English, and they teach English to foreigners. And all of a sudden, I'm getting all this website traffic from Taiwan because they're like, oh, this Taiwanese guy like knows what it's like in my shoes, and he has a guide to help me deal with these challenges that he knows. And, you know, I'll, I'll wait until, you know, like things you know, start to lead, lead to hired yeah. contracts. But for right now, right, all of a sudden, I have a lot more attention and you need visibility if you expect anyone to find you. Yeah, so that's, are, yeah I mean, that's, that's my journey so far anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, are you still doing like one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions or is it like group sessions or have you explored like maybe having like an online course that you could, provide um at a larger scale or are we not there yet oh no it's it's there's a lot on the horizon here guys and i promise you i i, I don't have a cloning machine like i promise you, I <laughs> yeah, if you had two or three of you maybe yeah i know <laughs> like, I, I i the warranty expired and uh you know uh, anyway uh but yeah so i do i do some individual coaching uh through the referrals that i get i am a 
doing some, I mean, I'm starting a group coaching program, or I'm even talking to some other organizations now to say, Hey, maybe we bring you on as internal coach, or, you know, you come talk to us because we, we have a bunch of Asians. We're not sure if we're getting through to them or building the strongest relationships. Um, and then I'm building a micro course on conflict resolution, uh, through a platform called blossom that's started by another, uh, coach friend of mine. It's kind of like Udemy or Coursera, other things like that. So, and that'll be fun to scale up because now, right. It's not, uh, dependent on my direct efforts, and that's I think the I think that's the launch pad that any of us are asking for ultimately, right? Where because it's when it's still just of uh, this linear effort of I work to make money uh, that yeah. can only take you so far. So yeah, there are some things on the horizon there. Like I know authors don't make a lot of money, but the book will still you know the chapter are contributing will still help you know in terms of uh, like some commissions on the side and also just more visibility. So yep. Um, yeah, so there are some things on there. So, so yeah, there is individual stuff, there's group stuff, and there's online stuff uh, all coming up in awesome. a couple months. Yeah, I guess the, the one of the big ideas that you're kind of talking about too, which I just want to put into yeah. like one idea is yeah. uh, you're talking about working on the business, not in the business, right? Mm-hmm. Too, you're trying to get look at into these ways while you're still building the company, mm-hmm. and it's not at a point where you could start, you know, hiring a bunch of full time employees. Mm-hmm getting other people or automations or these other tools to do the easy work for you. So then you can focus on the big picture ideas that are actually going to move the needle for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's easy to say, but in the moment you're like, when do I make this transition? Right. And uh, some of the better entrepreneur authors have mentioned, Hey, it's a gradual process, right? Yeah. Because you go to, you know, you're going to start by working in the business. You're, you're the only one, right? You're the one fixing all the appliances. You're the one, you know, making all the calls. And at some point, right, you, it's a very gradual process or you have to be very mindful or intentional to say, okay, I'm going to set aside, you know, like two hours every Saturday to simply kind of assess where I am, you know, and, and I evaluate which are the tasks that give me the most energy, which ones am I excited to take on? And which ones can I possibly look for opportunities to outsource or, or drop altogether, right? And yeah, it's like you said, you know, it's it's a fun phrase until you realize oh, nobody really has an idea of how to actually apply it or, or see oh, yeah. what it looks like day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I guess like with, with like all of these things um, on the horizon for you, is there is there anything that you think that, you you wish you could could have done differently in the past that maybe would have helped you in the present or or do you think that time will time will tell for that kind of thing oh no great question i mean if it were up to me again if i could go back in time and say hey when you start this um i would tell him i would tell myself like keep experimenting right because some of the traps that uh, entrepreneurs fall into, right? It's just that need for perfectionism because they think, oh, I have to get my brand colors exactly right before I show it to everybody. Yeah. And it's like, that's not, that's not the case at all. Like no one says it's set in stone, right? Maybe, yeah, when you follow your LLC name, yeah, just recognize, hey, you know, be careful on how you pick that name because once you, you know, pick it, it's, it's kind of complicated to change. Not that you couldn't start another one. Even then you could do a DBA also. Exactly. Yeah, you can just, yeah, yeah there's, there's mm-hmm. ways around it, right? And so when you realize, hey, nothing's really set in stone and it's up to me to, you know, to continue to push forward and learn and grow. And like the quicker you go through the cycle of, okay, try, fail, learn, adjust, try, fail, learn, adjust. Like the more you go through that and really be intentional with each cycle you do, um, 
the faster you're going to get something up and running, right? Because this, because, and, and that's, and we have to caution everyone that likes this idea of entrepreneurship and you realize, no, like this isn't for everybody. I talked to a coach recently. He's like, I hate the fact that I have to run a business just to be a coach. And he's like, I'm ready to just kind of, I'd almost, he was seriously considering just settling to work for some of these coaching franchises and platforms that are out there now. And, you know, my challenge to him lovingly was to say, why don't you just outsource, like just hire an operations manager because the rates that you charge under your own platform are going to be much higher than any other, you know, systemic platform is going to give you. And, you know, it's his decision. And, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a business expert, but I do know you're only going to be able to make so much money working for somebody else. I was just going to say, like the more people that are involved, the more people need to take a cut. But mm, absolutely. Um, yeah. John, go ahead. Well, that's the thing about entrepreneurship too. We always look for this like cookie cutter model, this template mm. of like, all right, this is how I do this type of business. Like this is how I get up my coaching business. I need these things. I need to bring this person in at this time and they're going to do this for me. In reality, like you just said, you technically, I mean, I'm not sure if you do or don't, but you may like running the business aspect of it as well as doing the coaching. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Yeah. That's just a decision that you have to make to get the business that you want. That's going to mm-hmm. give you the life that you want. So you don't have to be scared about getting fired from your job and having nothing yeah. like waiting no. for you there, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good reminder, right? That, and there's I trade-offs. Mean, you, but... you have to, you have to grow into the role if no one else is around. There's a, <laughs> the book that people laugh at when I quote it. There's a, for those of you who don't know who Dave Hitz is, he created a company called NetApp, which does memory storage for like, you know, Southwest Airlines and Yahoo. So, you know, all your important data just doesn't get wiped or stolen by, you know, natural disasters and thieves. Uh, and he wrote a memoir called How to Castrate a Bull. And part of this reason is that he's, he got his education at Deep Springs, where you have to basically run a ranch on top of getting your college education. And okay. he talks about how when you're on a ranch, you can't just outsource. So you have to, you know, if there's an ugly task that no one else is doing, you got to do it. And, you know, so if learning a business, you need to do it. If you're going to start a business, yeah, it's not going to be fun. But, you know, you got to believe that you can adapt to that role. Maybe you can finally get to a point where you say, OK, I wore that hat for a while. I'm ready to take it off and give it to somebody else. Uh, but, yeah, for the time being, you're going to have to grow. And that's where I am now. It's like, okay, nope, I got to go close the sale. And it's okay. Rejection is a part of running a business. It's nothing personal. Yeah. 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 That was well said. I also feel like, you know, when you're put in a position where you don't really have any other option, Mm -hmm. it's very surprising to see like what the human body and mind will do in those Mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you have your own business, there's no one, like you just said, there's no one else there right now that you can just call upon to do the dirty stuff for you, make that call that you don't want to call, have that tough conversation, which again ties back into conflict resolution. But when you're the only one, you kind of just have to pick it up and do it. And that's, I think, I think the thing that over time entrepreneurs get really good at. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes a cycle of like, not, it's kind of the saying where like do the hard things and life will be easy quote unquote Mm -hmm. and then consistently avoid the hard things and do the easy things and life will be hard yeah amen man yeah that's exactly it and you know lewis house had a great take on that as well he says you're only as strong as your adversity makes you right so whether the adversity is something that you were in it was introduced into your life you know whether you're a refugee or you know you had no choice or it's, you know, challenges you take on where you're like, I want to, you know, scale Mark Kilimanjaro. Sure, you know, why not? 
Um, I always laugh at the fact that I actually did that. No, it's great. (laughs) I didn't make it to the top though. I got altitude sickness. (laughs) No, well, you know, but the fact that you can still say, Hey, you you scaled it. Right. Cause so many people, right. It's that, you know, Teddy Roosevelt quote, you know, it's like, it's not the, you know, the, the spectators that have, you know, we have this peanut gallery thing where it's just fun to shoot people from the sidelines and be like, ha ha ha. And then it's like, Hey man, get in the, get behind the wheel, drive the car. Because otherwise, how else would you feel alive, right? So, yeah, oh, yeah. it's hell of an experience either way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, man, that's awesome. Um, all right. I guess uh, one one thing I, I want to spend like a few minutes on at least. Yeah. Um, so, with with your coaching, right? I don't I don't want to I don't want to ask you to do anything that um, that you're like. I guess not comfortable with or like something that you would need to be a client for. But Mm -hmm. if, if you were to coach either one of us, like what would be your approach? Does it, is it, does it depend on the person for those one-on-one sessions that you do, or is there some kind of approach that you've developed and kind of improved on over time? Yeah, no, that's a great, great, great uh, thing to ask for, to distinguish, right? Because on one hand, uh, you know, there's like grow models, right? There's all sorts of cute acronyms that people walk through and it's like, well, you know, why do I need to hire a professional coach? I just, you know, borrow the framework and do it myself and that's fine. You know, you know, massage yourself at home or you can work out without a <laughs> trainer. That's fine too. You know, why not? Um, for me, I guess, you know, part of my approach to coaching comes from, you know, just kind of being in the fire, right? Like when I was a church class director and just people would just come up with like urgent situations. And all of a sudden I just started to get in the middle of the struggle. I started to get really good at just asking questions, just very pointed questions as to like what the direct issue was. Right. Um, some of my favorite questions to ask for a coaching session are, you know, some are borrowed from Michael Bungie Stanier's coaching habit. And I always ask my, my clients, no, they're like, he's going to ask me, what's the real challenge here for you. Right. And then that's when you start to kind of peel back the onion uh, layers and realize, Oh, this is, I thought the problem was that my texts don't show up on time consistently, but the real problem is that the real challenge is that I feel disrespected when they don't show up on time, like they don't. And then, so now you have some basic standard questions that kind of help kind of cut through the noise a little bit. Uh, But the other thing I guess unique to me is that I just like to read a lot. And so I like to incorporate storytelling into my coaching. And so if I, if you describe a situation to me that says, oh, hey, you know, here's a situation that said, oh, well, you know, I heard about some other situations here that sound kind of similar. And let, let me put this, let me offer this to you. And you can say yes or no, right? It's not about, yeah. oh, I got to, people need to know how awesome a coach I am. It's more about, hey, I, you know, one beggar to another, here's some great bread that I found, you know, do you want it? Right. And then uh, I'll give an example, just so we're not talking in like theoretical stuff. Like, so, I did a <laughs> workshop. so I did a workshop for some, uh, an entrepreneur friend. And they were talking about, hey, you know, how are we going to deal with conflict when we have to make difficult and necessary decisions? And so I shared, you know, I wasn't an expert on how to build an enterprise company, but I did share some stories from companies that did, right? So one of the best stories that people may or may not know about is with Intel, right? Intel used to actually be uh, in the micro, uh, the memory chip business, right? And they were a very big memory chip player until, you know, Japanese competitors started undercutting them with cheaper, more advanced products. And Intel, in the meantime, was also working on microprocessors, right? And they, yeah. you know, this was, you know, this is obviously, you know, a, a big opportunity. IBM's like, yes, we want your chips in our system. That's a big contract. And the CEO at the time said, oh, I have a really tough decision to make. 
because all these people internally with Intel have said, no, we need, to, you know, memory chips are where we are. We got to show these competitors that we're still king of the hill. And then other people are saying, no, like this is an opportunity. The company can't straddle the fence. You're going to either need to commit to one or the other, but you won't have, you won't be able to do both. And so he actually, after much deliberation, asked himself a very good question. He said, if they fired me and they brought in a replacement, what would he do? And he said, oh, the new CEO would not have the emotional attachment to the old method of business. And he would understand, hey, this is nice and profitable, but shrinking. This is definitely on the upswing and we need to, this is where we need full guns. So he is able to kind of cut the popularity, you know, aspect of this job and realize, hey, you guys aren't going to like this. And I, I believe this is what's best for the companies to go with microprocessors. Guess what happened since then, right? Yeah. No one has unseated Intel. Like you can try other companies, but Intel has been king of the hill for so long now, right? And yeah. so this is the kind of conflict we want people to get better at. And this is the kind of conflict story that I introduced to these people to say, hey, you know, study this example. Is there anything useful here? And that's usually how it comes back to your original question, right? How do I help with coaching? I offer some stories or tools that I know I use. Like I have a five-step framework that I give away on my website, right? Not we, not to jump too far ahead, but I give that framework and I say, do you want to go through this framework? Yes or no? If they don't, they say, no, I just want more questions. Okay, sure, right? They're in the driver's seat. So it's a combination of things where it's like, okay, we'll start with questions. Well, then it leads to, hey, I want some tools from your toolbox. Okay, let me make that available to you. Um, if it is great, if not, okay. If there, you don't see any tools, okay. Let me find some stories that maybe can be relevant to your situation. So, some combination of those three things. So it kind of just seems like you're because you're just offering a service and you want to basically give the client or the customer what they're looking for. <clears throat> you're not technically trying to drive it any particular way. You're just starting off with some like you know general fielding questions so you can get an idea of how you can start to walk the situation in a certain direction, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's when you kind of figure out, all right, this seems like what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to offer them a few of the things that I can do for them. They're going to kind of come back with what they want or what they're really looking for, or what kind of feedback they want. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to, I guess, like you just said, offer them, you know, one of three, four things mm-hmm. that you can do. And some of them are stories and, Mm-hmm. then you're just going to try to put those things in front of them so they can, what, like, are you trying for them to figure it out on their own in a way? Like, it Basically, right? I mean, and that's the, the difference between coaching and consulting because, I mean, technically anyone can do both, right? If they wanted yeah. to, right? Because they need, but they need to know what the distinction is, right? Consulting, you're like, Jerry, I'm hiring you to find a solution. Okay, here are my recommendations. Okay. Here's my invoice, right? Done. That, yeah. that, that's all you want. That's, that's all you get. Irony is that, right? In hard economic times, consulting is usually the first to go. They're like, we're not paying for advice. We need, we know, we need money yeah. in the door, so that gets cut. Uh, I mean, coaching might not be far behind with, with some things, but a funny thing is, I knew a lot of people whose coaching businesses grew during the pandemic because people were just like, I need. They know how much they need coaching. They know the value behind it. So yeah, it depends if the person that says is the type of person that says, I just want you to hand me a solution, and I'm willing to pay money for it. And the other other people say, no, I want you to be the one to help me work out my own solution. Um, And, you know, it's not that one approach is better than the other. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of nuance in the situation. Right. So I'll give it again. Let's walk through some specific examples to make sure we're not just theoretical or vague. Um, So in 
the case of um, my one of my clients, you know, she had a really, really ugly boss and like, like ugly in terms of how he treated her. Right. And at one point calls her after hours needing questions. She sees his call, lets it go to voicemail because she's out with friends at dinner. Next day, he's just like, how dare you? That was disrespectful. I don't think you're committed to this job. Right. And so she calls me and she's like, how do I handle this? Some quality right. gaslighting. Yeah, right. Yeah. Is this is this a moment where I say, hey, well, what do you think success sounds like? You know, how do you, you know, what do you think is the real challenge here for you? Like, what do you, you know, what kind of solution would you, do you think was actually going to work? Right. Because she has no yeah. frame of reference as to what success sounds like. Like she doesn't, you can't know what success is until you've experienced it. Right. So the yeah. loophole or the, 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 the magic is that, well, if I've never experienced the success, let me study someone else's success, right? And so now I'm saying, okay, so there's coaching, right? There's one way where it's just like, okay, let me ask you questions. But in this case, this is more of like the athletic coaching where it's like, okay, when you get out on the field, look out for the the guy who's marking you, right? Like, I want you to push the ball this way. I want you to, and so you start to give much more like of a very concrete, like swerve, like swervy path, a shaped path for them to follow down. And so that's kind of what I did for her. And so the framework is like this, right? So I say, well, you know, how do you want this conversation to go? Like, what's your ultimate goal? She's like, well, I want an apology and I want some like clear expectations from him. I was like, okay, how do we, what's the best way to go about doing that? And so, you know, I give her some phrases that she could try to play around with on her own, right? Because I've been through the situation. Um, Then I say, okay, now that you have an idea of how this conversation want, you want to go, now let's write it all on paper, right? Like get your thoughts on paper, organize them, and then practice them, like rehearse it. Are you uh, looking at yourself in the mirror? Are your, is your body language relaxed? Are you speaking in a calm, um, a calm t- and controlled tone? And then, you know, are you ironing out like your phrasing so that you don't trip over your own words later, right? And then... Uh, now, okay, if you want me to role play your boss, now we can if that if it comes down to that, right? And so yeah. in this case, right, it's like this weird blend, but it really is more on the directive side where she's like, I need I need a path forward, right? And so I can give that to her. And you know, the email I got from her, you know, like that weekend saying just how thankful she was, and she's like, I really don't know how I would have gotten through this without your help. Uh, you know, that's those are the moments I live for as a coach, right? That's when it's all worth it. That's that's funny because I wish I uh, I guess I wish I had you as a coach at the time. But oh, my last position, mm-hmm. uh, I had a really similar kind of situation going on with my boss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of how you were explaining it. Unclear expectations would like just kind of pop off on me randomly and make mm-hmm. me feel like I wasn't competent in my role. I wasn't doing the right thing, even though I was giving way more than I ever have before. Mm-hmm. Luckily, through like enough long conversations with my dad on the phone on the way home from work and getting upset and thinking about things on my own, I was able to get to the point where I was having these conversations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like looking back in hindsight, that was there was a lot of growth there because I had to come out of my shell when before I would continuously let people push me around, just take it, not really speak up for myself Mm -hmm. and not, you know, not be confrontational or aggressive, but just there are times if if you just set the line for people Mm -hmm they kind of are forced to, you know, maybe respect you for lack of a better term and a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, maybe if I had gone a coaching route or had someone who was professional that could like speed the process up, it wouldn't have taken so long kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, thanks for admitting that. And, you know, again, if you have, if you can afford the time and money to like take a little longer, you know, great. Because we have to be careful that we don't just get into like microwave or laser coaching where we're just kind of like, okay, is the results, you know, done. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to force you know, it to, yes, it has to be a natural is. progression. But it is, you know, it's nice that in hindsight you say, well, you know, maybe and, you know, hopefully I can make this faster next time you, you encounter the similar situation. Say, oh, okay, I recognize this. Okay, here's how I make sure I don't fall back into the same, you know, deliberate or hesitation that I fell into last exactly. time. Because that's what I'm doing as an entrepreneur myself, right? I'm just like, okay, how do I make sure I don't, like, drag my heels again, you know, to, like, you know, prospect or, you know, contact. Yeah. So, yeah, man, no, that's, uh, it's beautiful to watch you though and say, Hey, you know what? I'm ready to do it better. And if I encounter this similar circumstance. Yeah. Well, yeah, I also had the help of like Ahmed and all our other college friends who were, you know, we're all a couple of years out of school and working our first or second job. Oh. And they were all like, dude, like, this Screw is not that. good. <laughs> <laughs> you need to either leave or make sure this, this energy and these com- these situations are not happening anymore. So mm-hmm. hearing it enough times, one day just realizing to myself, like, you know, like this is not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's a, like, this also comes into the full realization of me pursuing entrepreneurship and everything too. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, you kind of talked about it a bit that you don't want to just feel this pressure that you can't speak up because then, Oh, you'll get fired and then you don't have any backup plan and then financial struggles come in and et cetera, et cetera. So I well, hey. this is, yeah. No, well, Hey, uh, didn't mean to cut you off there if there's anything. No, you're else. good. Right. So, so to dovetail on that though, right? It's also, but it's also true from the boss side because as long as you're conflict averse, that you're like, crap, I hired this guy and he's not working out, and you're like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation. And then, like, I remember we had the technician yeah. that was really bad at one point, and we're me and me the other lead technician we were just frustrated. We just go outside and vent, and then. My lead tech at one point, you know, told me, she's just like, is it bad that I'd rather just quit this job than have to deal with her again? And I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, we are in yeah, charge. Yeah. Like, we can fire her. We can write her off. Like, this is just, oh, yeah. So, yeah, pray that you, in your entrepreneurship, you realize, hey, I don't want to be forced out of my own company because I, I made the wrong hire. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's true whether you're uh, on the leader side or the follower side. So. Just be yeah, no, I felt a few of those situations too when I was managing just because mm-hmm. I want to make sure everyone enjoys their job first and foremost. But then when you're yeah. getting pressure from people above you to mm-hmm. do certain things and say certain things and you don't even really want to, yeah, you're kind of like, uh, I obviously really need to do this because I'm almost being strong handed into doing it, but I don't want my team to think less of me and mm-hmm. I don't want them to think that my morals are shifting towards being this like uh, greedy corporate pig so to speak mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. never anything you want to put on a resume it's like what was you telling here greedy corporate greedy pig. corporate pig no, no I'm, I'm with you because i mean I'm, I'm i'm in the same boat you know as a manager in the pharmacy right now right i have bosses i have to answer to to say hey are you doing everything we need to we don't like this or we don't like that and then i have to go back and turn to my team and say okay this is what they meant right and then and say yeah. okay this is how this translates day to day because you know and you want an environment where there's some healthy pushback uh where they say hey i don't like this or i don't like that it's like okay but then to flip the discussion to say okay how would you do this if you were in charge instead of saying just finding reasons to just say we shouldn't do it right or, i just don't want to do it so Good. yeah yeah and it's 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 uh, i'll be happy to talk over you know a different situation venting about employees yeah. that just don't want to be adults about things but hey we all welcome to leadership 
<laughs> well, also, when you kind of open the floor to like that healthy conversation, mm-hmm. it, it becomes healthy on both sides. Like then they'll feel inclined to speak up about things where they feel like you might have some shortcomings, but it's not in an attacking way. And then you mm-hmm. won't feel like you're getting attacked. Yeah. And then you could also have conversations with them when you feel like they need to do certain things. And mm-hmm. then it's not those situations where you're like, oh, am I going to get fired if I like if I do one more wrong thing? You know that it's just like, hey, I just I noticed this. Could you just let me know if you could do it this way instead? And then mm-hmm. it makes the entire environment completely different, way more healthy. And people also then enjoy coming to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's definitely a balance because. Uh, I've definitely avoided the sandwich method going out because I hate that because it's just like, hey, we really appreciate you, but oh, this is really bad. Okay, land the plane. And it's like, no. And so you have to remember that and this is what I say. I say you, but I say for me too. I have to remember that for everything that I correct, I need to like provide some also encouragement to, to celebrate what they're doing right along with fixing what's like what they're doing yeah. wrong, right? Because if you condition them to think, uh oh, Jerry's coming around, that means I messed up with something. It's just never fun, even though you're trying to be helpful. So yeah, it's uh it's definitely a, an art and a tightrope <laughs> all in one. Yeah. yeah. And I, f- I feel like like whether it's at work or in a non professional environment, when when you feel comfortable around a leader, you're gonna be more efficient at whatever you're doing. You're gonna do like you might do like if it's for if it's for work you might do a better job at work um like maybe because you feel more comfortable but also subconsciously maybe you want to make your you want to make your manager look good if they are empowering you to feel and do good um whereas if you have if you're constantly dealing with like with negative conflict right because there is there is positive conflict some conflict is good but yeah. When if you're constantly dealing with issues with your manager, your the morale of the team is going to be gone, and nobody's yeah. going to be as effective as they need to be or could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, um, uh, but, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go. Oh no, no. It's I'm sorry about that. But one one last thing I wanted to yeah. I just wanted to touch on about coaching is that I realized that. When you were talking about coaching earlier and about how it's a, a lot of it is kind of how you have to help guide people to solve their problem rather than solve their problem yourself. Um, like if you think about a coach in terms of like the like the most like I guess well known coach, right? Like a sports team coach. Like the coach isn't out there on the court or on the field playing with the with the yeah. players or the athletes. They're empowering you, they're guiding you, they're leading you towards your goal. And then the it's up to the players to actually win the game or win the championship or whatever it is. So I feel yeah. like your analogy with and comparing coaching and consulting was really effective. And I that thought just popped into my head. I just wanted to. Oh to put it out there no thanks man this is you know this i love it when you know my favorite podcasts i mean they're all they're all like you know they're all my kids right it's just like oh they're all i love them all in some form or fashion but when the hosts are like yeah this is really good for me and i i mean that's that's as that's as satisfying as as feedback as i could ask for as a guest just to know that the hosts are like yeah this is a conversation i've i love it when hosts are like oh i'm gonna rewind this and review it a couple times because there's just so much stuff i want to be sure to distill and apply so 
Oh, thank you, man. I'm, I'm excited to see how this pays dividends for you, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I would say for John and I both, we've, we've grown a lot and we've also just enjoyed doing, doing, uh, this podcast just because we feel like with every guest that we've had come on the show, we've learned from them and whether it's like, whether it's coaching or real estate or investing or whatever it is, you, you learn, you take away something that could help you at some point down the road and you may not even realize it or know it. But thank you for like, I feel like I, I, I gained a lot just from, from this conversation and I'm sure anyone listening would, will also agree. But, um, uh, Jerry, I guess one, one last question I want to ask you before, uh, before we wrap up. Um, I guess in your, in your career, um, we could, include your time as a pharmacist and um, transitioning into leadership and now um, in your current roles. Uh, what would you say were the highlights and lowlights or maybe one of each? And okay. how did that affect your your path and your story? Yeah. Wow. What a question. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I, I love- when you have to, like, I always I always love questions that when you see people and they're like, they just start to look off into the distance because you're like, oh, I asked a good question because I made them think, <laughs> right? So, um, a highlight was actually something I was going to mention, like, um, in, in the process of some parting words. So this is a good segue. So I think the highlight was really the, the, the genesis of, of seeing a, and experiencing uh, effective leadership. And so the highlight, and I'll elaborate by saying this, this, and so I will praise this name until the day I die. His name is Michael Negretti. Uh, he's a pharmacist through the fraternity that I'm a part of. And uh, when we were paired together for the first time, I, t- I helped teach these leadership seminars. Um, I saw how he brought up the best in me, and I was just so excited to work hard for him. And we worked so well together. And I just said, wow, like, he he wow, he really just kind of built me up and just sent me out on the field. And that was great. (laughs) And I had to ask myself, how did he do that? And that was the first time I actually, like the theory that you read in like Maxwell or John Wooden's book or anything like that, it finally started to make me realize I need to list very concrete things. You don't just say, oh, his vision is great. His integrity is great. It's like, what exactly about Michael Negretti inspired me and i listed about five things and i'll list them here because this is kind of what i patterned my own leadership style after number one he's fun to be around he's very approachable it's like oh you know he's he's not in a bad mood and you know he's he's you can you can you look forward to talking with him there's a certain warmth about him um number two he's fun to learn from he's always reading something great like and i i've i've pulled a lot of books from his list because i'm like i want to learn when he's learning right number three tireless worker, right? No question what his work ethic is or how hard he's working uh, to move something forward. Number four, always tinkering. Like he's never settling for what's good enough. It's always like, well, what if we tried this? How could we continue to experiment with this? And then number five, very collaborative as he's experimenting. So he'll be like, hey, Jerry, what do you think of this? Like, this is what I'm doing and da, da, da. So he already set a very like effective tone with me to say, Hey, you know, this is fun. I want to keep up with this guy. Right. And all of a sudden I brought that into my own leader. I put my own spin on things, right. You want to, you know, come up with your own spices, your own recipe. But yeah. I say that was such a, 
that was such a uh, great moment because I finally had like a tangible example I could grasp and, and, and kind of internalize for myself. Uh, so yeah, that was a highlight for sure. Um, I think a low light, which in a way is still a highlight, is when, um, I mean, the, one of the toughest things I had to do was when I, one of my jobs, I had started within a, like a month and I found a technician that I liked. Like she was very good skill, like technically skilled and everything good with, with patients and such. But she couldn't show up on time for the life of her. Like I would get random texts from her being like, oh, my sister needs a, a ride to the airport and I need to go and, and go take care of this. And then, you know, she'd be like, you know, two hours late. Oh, sorry, sorry. And and then it happened again with other random things. You know, she was trying to, um, you know, move because she had to relocate for this job. And, you know, then apparently the apartment that she, you know, was supposed to move into, like it wasn't clean and all those other things that so she was late again. And so... You know, the clinic I was working with at the time saw this and they told my boss and my boss was like, if the clinic's not happy with this technician, you got to handle it. Like we, you can, it's within 90 days, just cut her loose. And I'm like, like, you didn't give me a manual. <laughs> just handle it, just figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Sometimes that's good for people. In this case, I was just like, okay, I got to do it. Cause if I don't cut her loose, right. Then like my previous job, if I didn't like, you know, dismiss or discipline bad technicians, I got in trouble. I'm like, okay, if I don't push her out the door, I'm going to go right out the door with her. So, um, and even worse, like just incidentally, she was pregnant, like at the time, like I just was like, oh, (laughs) you're like, I'm a bad person. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) And so recognizing that like you have to do the necessary and difficult thing because the consequences of not going through with the necessary and difficult thing are even worse. And you're just like, I thought I could be, I, I want to enjoy life. Like I didn't want, you know, I, I'm this mellow guy, this mellow extrovert that wants to just hang out and talk, come conversations with people because I'm an approval addict or a recovering one. Right. And so incidentally, yeah, like on this one assessment, they said, Hey, Jerry, you're a peacemaker. You like popularity. You, you know, you like harmony and things like that. You're not really quite like the, like the maverick type to do that. And it was, it was hard to hear that, but I'm glad I did because now I have a choice. Either I work toward getting to, to uh, take on this new identity to really make sure I move my business forward or I outsource it to somebody and say, hey, let's do some revenue share because you're really good at the operations side and really, you know, like digging new pipelines and things like that. Right. And to recognize, hey, I'm not going to be so profitable to say, oh, I have to become this. And then I proved to everybody that I could do it. It's like, no, like success can come in many different forms. So, yeah, high. that's a high and the low. Is there anything... Like remind me else what I what else I needed to add to that question. <laughs> I mean, I guess I guess you already you already answered the rest of the question. It was just how they tied to your overall story. But yeah, um, I guess you you did talk about how they molded you into who you are today and who you continue to strive to to become. But um, yeah, I'll yeah, dovetail was... on that really quick. Sorry. Yeah. And this just, I think basically what sets me apart in this case, right? What make after having been fired and having to fire people, you want to do with a level of dignity, right? Treat the other yep. person with dignity, even if they've lost your trust, because it is hard. Like I had to evict a roommate at one point. That's just off the clock, but same thing, right? You just, you feel sad that, you know, the relationship, like the amount of trust just got bankrupted. And you just like, you know, there's a point where I really enjoyed being around you. There's a point where, you know, we were good roommates and things like this. And it's just, you're like, and I can't even get to that point anymore because, you know, you defaulted on your lease and you have to leave because as long as you can't contribute to the cost of living here, um, you know, you can't live here. 
And, yeah. you know, to be able to articulate that in a civil way and not be like, oh, that's all right, get out. Right. You don't you want to get to a point where things aren't so petty because it is everything in me was because he would say things like, oh, you know, hope I'll make you proud of me again. And I mean, everything in me was just like, oh, like pay back the money and maybe I'll believe you. Go a little bit of manipulation too. <laughs> yeah, like... But you're just kind of like, oh, OK, no, yeah. let me just say, all right, man, you know, uh, good luck with your next steps. So, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you for letting me have that bonus. No, no, no. Of course. Yeah. Um, Ahmed, did you have any other questions or otherwise it'd be perfect time to wrap it up. Um, Jerry, thank you. I just want to, I want to give you the floor for one sec. Just if you want to, again, plug your website, plug that, uh, that free resource you said you wanted to mention. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The call to action guys. If you want uh, you know, free guidance, like, yeah, go to www.adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide. And yeah, free downloadable guide on uh, my five step framework that I've kind of, you know, again, just kind of built from experience and other useful resources that came across uh, to help you navigate difficult conversations. And uh, yeah, uh, check out the guide, check out the website, schedule a complimentary coaching call if you want, or check out the blog where I, I summarize useful and interesting leadership literature, offer other coaching tips and plug podcasts like this one. So, you know, <laughs> like, check it all out. But yeah, adaptingleaders.com forward slash guide to, to start you off. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. This was certainly... I've been enjoying the podcast so much because it feels like with every episode we do, we just get another person on that's <clears throat> we both learn so much throughout the episode. We get to have a really good convo, bounce some good questions off each other, and then hopefully, you know, relay this entire little like bit of knowledge into an episode for the audience to experience. But I'll digress. Um, <laughs> thank you, Jerry. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Stay in um, touch, guys, for sure. Yeah, uh, you guys know where to reach us. Black Box Podcast, no A in the black on Instagram and Twitter. Black Box Podcast with an A in the black on TikTok. And other than that, we will see you next time.